who knows, from the students most likely, what series we are in. Jonah, that is right. We have been taking a look chapter by chapter through the book of Jonah. And I'm super excited about it. So I thought we weren't going to get to do Jonah chapter 4 because Thanksgiving snuck up on me. But uh, things changed. And tonight we're going to finish Jonah chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, or your ancient scrolls, please unravel them at this time and turn to Jonah chapter 4. All right. So first we're going to talk about the road so far. All right. Just to catch everyone up to speed on the story of Jonah. So Jonah, he was a prophet in the Old Testament, and God called him to do a very specific thing that he very specifically did not want to do, right? God told, uh, I almost said Abraham, God told Jonah to go preach to Nineveh, and Jonah was like hard pass, right? Nineveh was known for their violence, for their mistreatment of the Israelites, specifically for their torture, right? Like a super evil people, all right? The worst of the worst. And Jonah did not want to go. And so he actually goes the opposite way. 2,000 miles to Tarshish. Gets on a boat. Sails further away from Nineveh. But you cannot run from God as he found out. God makes a huge storm happen, right? One thing leads to another. Jonah comes clean and ends up just being like, here's the deal, guys. Throw me over the boat to my death and that'll be the end of it. They don't want to, but they don't want to die themselves. So the sailors throw Jonah over the boat to his death, and down he sinks. And when he's about to die, a large fish sent by the Lord comes and swallows him up. All right, some people think Jonah actually died in the fish and God resurrected him. Other people think he was on the brink of death. There's a case for both. But ultimately, it doesn't matter for us today because Jonah does come back to life, right, or stay to life. And he prays to God in Jonah chapter 2 and he repents and he says, all right, God, let's try this your way. And so Jonah chapter 3 is Jonah's second chance. Jonah does indeed go to Nineveh. He does indeed deliver the message, repent or you will be destroyed in 40 days. And then the biggest miracle in the book of Jonah occurs, right? It's not the fish. It is in fact the wicked evil nation of Nineveh actually turns from their violence and repents and God spares them, right? It's absolutely amazing. And it's the biggest miracle in the book of Jonah. And so that's where we're left off. God just spared Nineveh, and we're about to get Jonah's reaction to it. Now, spoiler alert, Jonah's not happy, all right? In fact, Jonah is angry. Now, when I saw that the topic for this week was Jonah's anger, this one got me a little bit, because uh, you may not know, but, but back in college and in high school especially, Uh, on the soccer field, on the basketball court, I had a bit of a reputation as a rage monster, as some might call them, all right? I liked to win, and I got furious when I didn't. And so it was a rough combination. Now, I I relate with anger problems, so I feel for Jonah uh, in this passage. But before we go on, I just want to tell a little quick story about my my past, because here's the deal. Honestly, it's explainable why, why I get angry at at certain situations, right? Because a lot of times it's in your blood. How many of you guys know someone who they're angry and their father or mother is angry and their grandfather, right? The whole line is just like angry about everything. You've probably seen those people. If you're like, no, never. It's probably you, okay? I'm just saying, right? But you've seen it, right? And that was my family, right? We're ultra competitive. There is no playing just for fun. Fun is winning. And so tempers get high, all right? And my dad, though now 
in his old age, he is a gentle giant. At one time, he also was what one would call a rage monster. But see, I got what I would call a quick wit from my mother. I always have a quick response to everything. My dad's not that way. If you get him mad enough, he'll just start making up words and babbling and then get even more mad. And so that happened one time. We were out shoveling dirt. We were doing a landscaping project. And I don't remember exactly what I was doing, uh, but it was the exact opposite of what he told me to be doing. And so he started to get angry. He's like, Elijah, stop doing that. So I'd stop for a moment and I'd do it again and again. And finally, he got to that point where he was so mad he was going to tell me the punishment and or threat. Uh, and so what I imagine he was trying to say in that moment was something like, um, I'll spank your butt, I'll hit you upside the head, I'll get you with that shovel, like something in that realm. But what came out was kind of a combination of all. And, and the threat that came my way was, Elijah, I will spank your butt upside your head with a spoon. And I was like, Dad, how are you going to spank my butt upside my head with a spoon? Right? He got even more angry. We laughed about it later. But that's, that's the level of, of anger. Sometimes we get so mad we don't even know what words to say. Right? We're like, you just, huh, huh, ah! Right? I've been there a couple of times. Some phones were broken. It's not important. All right? But we're going to read about Jonah's anger. All right? Because Jonah... That man was a rage monster, all right? Let me tell you. So, if you have the book of Jonah open, we're going to turn to chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, and we're going to read the first three verses. It says this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Keep in mind, this is his reaction to Nineveh being saved. He says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. We're going to stop there. An interesting response from Jonah, right? So God saves a whole race of people, and Jonah's like, I knew it. I knew it, God. You're slow to anger. You are rich in love and mercy, and I can't stand it. Just take me now. I'm done, right? I can't do anything else. And he's literally like wanting just to be done with life because God rescued the Ninevites, spared them, gave them mercy. Clearly, Jonah has got some serious anger issues going on, right? He would rather die than have the Ninevites live, which is interesting because he was the prophet that was sent to save them. And so if we're going to learn from Jonah's anger, if we're going to um, pick apart how it can apply to us, we first have to understand Jonah's anger. So we have to ask the question, why? Why was Jonah angry? And after studying, I came up with two pretty big reasons why Jonah was angry with a seemingly good thing. Number one, Jonah's personal prejudice was stronger than his love for God. Jonah's personal prejudice was stronger than his love for God. And it's really easy when we see Jonah to be like, wow, what a trash can of a human being. I would never do that. Except for we then find ourselves in situations where you're like, oh man, I could really be nice to this person at school or at work, right? I could help him out, but uh, they annoy me a lot and they said some mean things. And so I'm just going to let them struggle, right? That's a little bit more normal. But that's very similar to what Jonah was doing, right? Because we often let our personal prejudices overpower our love for God. 
And it becomes difficult sometimes because we honestly love God, but we honestly dislike other people, right? I'll be the first to admit some people are just incredibly difficult for me to love, right? And so sometimes you find yourself torn between like my love for God and my disdain for this person or my love for God and my disdain for this thing, right? For me, it's doing the dishes. I hate it so much. I'd rather just break my dishes and buy new ones, but my wife won't let me do it. I got to balance it, right? And so the question is, how do we know where your heart truly lies, right? How do you know if God is really your strongest love or if you've put something else over him? Well, when it comes to people, you can often tell how much someone loves someone else by how much they put up with, right? For instance, I love my wife, Amanda. She's in here somewhere. Oh. Hi, Amanda, wherever you are. And, uh, and so I love my wife, Amanda. Amanda loves reality TV shows about finding love, all right? If it were up to me, I would spend a grand total of zero minutes of my life watching reality TV shows about people who find love, all right? Not interested. But Amanda loves them, and I love Amanda, so I'm not even going to tell you how many minutes of my life I have spent watching reality TV shows about people finding love, all right? But it's way too many. But it goes both ways, right? My wife loves me. I love WWE professional wrestling every single week. Yes. Right? Amanda would likely spend zero minutes of her life watching professional wrestling if she didn't love me. But she does, and so she spends so much time. And she's a trooper, right? She actually invests and, like, knows the characters and gets into it with me. Right? It's awesome. But you can tell if you love someone because... When you really, truly love someone with all your heart, you are drawn to the things that they love. You are pushed away from the things that they don't like, right? Even in a friendship, right? If your best friend, like, really doesn't like somebody else or something else, you'll find yourself, most of the time, like, jumping on that wagon, like, yeah, I'm against it because they're against it. That's right, right? Or I'm all for it because they're for it. So how does that apply to God? How does that apply to loving the Lord? Well, loving God, if you truly love God, you'll love what God loves. Meaning, loving God is loving his people. And that is a point that Jonah entirely missed. Loving God is loving his people. You see, Jonah loved God, but he had hate in his heart for the Ninevites. And in 1 John, it says, if you claim to love God and hate your brother, then you're a liar. right? Because you can't have hate for God's creation and love the Creator. It just doesn't work like that. Loving God is loving his people. And Jonah put his hatred for the people over his love for God, and it affected both sides, his relationship with the people and relationship with God. If there's any lesson that we can learn from Jonah's attitude toward the Ninevites, it's that loving God is loving his people. And it's tough because often we try to separate it. You're like, I love God, I love church, I love my Bible study, but I hate my coworkers, and so they better not cross me or... Uh, they're going to get it. They're going to get the thunder cookie, right? You know what I'm saying? And so we got we to balance that, right? If we truly love God, that means putting up with some annoying people, right? But when we do that, sometimes our reaction or lack of reaction is the only Jesus that they ever see. And that's huge. So loving God is loving his people. Reason number two that I think Jonah became angry is Jonah became angry due to a lack of understanding. 
And that's something I think we all do, right? Anytime we don't understand something, it's really easy to get angry at that thing. For me, it's these little uh, adjustable doggy gates at my house, all right? I have two dogs, and they're terribly behaved, and they like to chew everything up. So we got to keep them in gates. And the gates, you have to, like, spread it and then put the thing in the right slot and then twist it. And you got to keep it tight the whole time or it'll fall. And sometimes you can do it all right, and it still falls. And I'm like, my patience for that thing is, like paper thin. All right. I'm done with those gates. And so I'll be like, I don't understand how to do this. I'm adjusting it. It falls. And I'm just like, Amanda, the gate fell. And then I walk off. Right. Because I don't understand how to do it. I don't get how it works. And so it gets the boot most of the time. All right. When we don't understand something, it makes us angry. That's true with the gates and with little funny things. But that's also true with incredibly serious moments in life. Jonah did not understand why God made the decision that he made. Jonah thought for sure that the Ninevites were finally going to pay for what they did to Jonah's people. And instead, he sees them receive grace. And he doesn't understand. He thinks, God, why would you save such a wicked, evil people with all the wrong that they have done? How could you do that to us? Right? He was so angry because he didn't understand. And honestly, I think we all have gone or will go through the same thing in our life. Maybe you prayed for something and you prayed with all your might and in faith and expectation and God said, wait, or maybe God said, no. And we're like, God, I don't understand. All the doors were open to this. This looked like the plan. Everything was lined up. I was willing to go. Why did you say no? Maybe it's yourself or a loved one gets sick or get injured or passes away or whatever it is. And we're like, God, what the heck, man? Like, They're a good person. There's so many bad people that are still out doing bad things. And you take this one? And we don't understand. And what makes it even harder is we don't always get an answer. Sometimes there is no clarity for now. So what do we do? What do we do when we become angry at God? It comes down to the word faith, right? It's something we talk about just about each and every week at church. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And faith is very, very closely connected to trust. Honestly, I think faith is a form of trust. Because if you truly have faith in someone or something, you trust that it's going to do what you hope it's going to do. Right? If you really have faith in God, you trust that He is going to do what He says He's going to do. When you start struggling with faith, you also struggle with trust. Because when you have a lack of faith, it means, God, I don't know if I trust you to do what you said you're going to do. And that sounds bad, but I've been there. I get there on a daily basis, right? It's tough. And the reason it's tough is because we see the immediate and God sees the eternal. So when something doesn't work out right in front of us, we're like, God, why? Why would you do this? I don't understand. And in those moments, God sees the eternal. God sees where you are, but he sees down the road as well. He sees the full picture. And sometimes a hard reality to accept is we are not living for this life. Because this life doesn't always end well. In this life, people get sick for no reason. And sometimes don't make it. In this life, bad things happen to good people. In this life, confusing things happen and there's no explanation. But the good news is we're not fighting for this life. We're fighting for an eternity with our Savior. So sometimes what seems really bad now is actually a really good thing in eternity. No, we don't understand it. No, we won't understand it for a while. But we can have faith. We can trust that our God does. 
And that's what Jonah failed to do. See, Jonah trusted himself over God. God said, I have a plan. And Jonah said, no, I have a plan. Right? But when we have a trust in God that says, God, I don't understand why you did this. I wouldn't have made this decision. But I trust that you do. I trust that you know, and I trust you have a plan. And the good news is, the facts back that up. Right? All through scripture, we see countless examples of God making promises and keeping promises. We see examples of God fulfilling prophecy, calling his shot and doing it, never ever letting his people down. Now it takes time, all right? This book absolutely takes time for his purposes to be accomplished. And if it did then, then it will now. So just because something doesn't work out in the immediate doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan. It doesn't mean that God forgot about you. We have to trust that God has a plan. I love the verse in scripture that says God is working all things for our good. But I think a really important insert in the Elijah standard version is God is working all things for our eternal good. Because when we start thinking God is working all things for my immediate good, why am I not wealthy and powerful and have everything I want? Because that would be really good like right now. God's not working all things for your immediate good, but he absolutely is working all things for your eternal good. And that is where our trust Lies. That is where our hope is. And that is what Jonah missed. He didn't understand that God had a long-term plan that sometimes requires waiting and not understanding every step. But God always comes through. And God's response is interesting. Look at this. In verse 4, God hits him with a little zinger right here. All right? A little holy sass, if you will. It says, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Now, here's the deal. I don't know how God said it because I'm just reading it. But like I picture like, uh, oh, okay, Jonah, do you, uh, do you do well to be angry? Is that, uh, is that working out well for you? Is that helping you out? Right? I, just, I sense like a little bit of holy sass right there, right? Maybe not. But, uh, but I think it's certainly appropriate, right? Because Jonah's being like over the top. And so God's like, seriously, like, does your anger help you? And just for a minute... On anger, right? Just a little free nugget here. Anger is a toxic drug. Anger is a toxic drug. It's something that if you let get unchecked in your life, it will get bigger and bigger and worse and worse, right? And sometimes we find out that anger can lead to a solution. We're like, oh man, I got angry and that person backed down and gave me what I want. So then we start using anger to get what we want and it grows bigger and bigger. And soon we've transformed into a person that we're not. We start saying things that's not like us to say. We start doing and thinking things affected by this anger because anger only grows. Now, a lot of people would push back and say, hold on now. Anger is not always bad. I'll meet you there, right? What about righteous anger? Jesus, he got angry. He flipped some tables, right? He waved a whip around. All right. What about that? Now, that's true. There is righteous anger. But there's a very big difference, and it's important to know the difference, because righteous anger leads to a righteous solution, right? So if you find yourself, like, rolling down your window and chucking your garbage out your car at somebody else that you're honking at, probably not a righteous solution, all right? Just going to go out on a limb. So anger can be good, right? But it can only be good when it leads to a righteous solution, meaning... Something, an injustice, let's say, an injustice in the world, the way somebody else is treated, makes me mad. 
Now, at this point, I can either get righteously angry or unrighteously angry. The difference being unrighteously angry, I'm mad, so I just find somebody and I just rip into them, right? And I give them the worst day that I can give them, and I make somebody pay because I'm angry. That's unrighteous anger. Righteous anger is this upsets me and this is wrong. So what can I do to be a part of the solution to the problem? It drives you to a positive solution. Now you can't choose what makes you angry. And often we use this as a crutch, right? We get furious about something. We're like, listen, okay? Yes, I slapped them in the face, okay? But they made me super mad. They, they, they taunted me, right? So that's, that's on them. Right? But here's, here's the truth of the matter. You can't choose what makes you angry, but you absolutely can choose how to respond. Right? And so, you know, if somebody, if one of my students, Kevin, say, Kevin comes up and he's just taunting me. He's like, go ahead, Elijah, do something about it. Let's go. Let's go. Actually, I'd be looking up because Kevin's like eight feet tall. And so I'm like, all right, Kevin, let's go. Right? And finally, I'm like, okay, here we go. Smack. Right? And everyone cheers and gives me an award and the key to the city. Okay, whatever it is. Right? They were like, yeah, Kevin deserved it. That's right. But even though Kevin may have deserved it, probably did. Just kidding, Kevin. You're super nice. But let's say he did. Me and my reaction, no matter how justified or deserving he was, is still on me. I still have to answer for every single reaction, taunted or not. You can't choose what makes you angry, but you absolutely can choose how you respond. That's just a free nugget while we're talking about anger. Back to Jonah. We're going to look at God's message to Jonah, right? So God hits Jonah with like, does it do you well to be angry? Is that anger helping you? Is that righteous anger? No, I didn't think so. So we're going to read the last chunk before the very end, all right? Five till the end of the chapter. It says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he, uh, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. That's incredibly nice. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So God, he, he gives a little object lesson here, all right, to Jonah. It, when you read it the first time, it's kind of confusing. Like, man, why is God playing games with Jonah, right? Jonah sits up to watch what happens to Nineveh. He's crossing his fingers, hoping they get destroyed. And God's like, oh, Jonah, you look a little warm. Let me give you a plant of shade, right? Up it blossoms and he's got shade. And Jonah's like, oh, this is cool, right? I got a shady plant. I'm about to hopefully watch Nineveh get destroyed. This is awesome, right? And then the next day, God goes to the worm. He's like, yo, eat that tree. And the worm's like, thanks for the food. And so he goes and he eats the tree. The tree falls over and Jonah is now like scorching, just roasting. It says God brings a wind in. He's burning up, right? And he's like, that's it. 
Nope, I am too hot. God, I would not like to live anymore. End it now. I don't know why that's Jonah's like default response, but I feel like modern day Jonah would be like walking and then like stub his toe and be like, oh, that's it. Take me. I'm done. Right? He's so quick to get there. Right? He's probably got a harder life than I give him credit for. But he does. He's there and he's like, God, just take it. And then God hits him with this. Right? The lesson of the object lesson. I'm going to read it one more time. It's verses 10 and 11. It says, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? God's basically being like, Jonah, you're torn up over a plant, and yet you rooted for a whole city of people to die. Like, put that in perspective. Right? You're like rejoicing over this plant when I gave it to you. And yet you're hoping a whole city, 120,000 people and animals. That doesn't tear you up, but the plant does. He's like, get your priorities right. He's telling Jonah. And I think from God's response to Jonah, we can see a few things about God. Number one, God loves his creation even though they don't love him. And that's big. That's a huge part of who God is. God loves his creation even when they don't love him. Right? Side note, if we're going to be like Christ, I think that means that we have to love other people even when they don't love us. And that's tough. But that's what God's about. Right? Because God loves, loves Jonah. Even though Jonah's rebelling against him and asking to die and have his life taken away, God still loves Jonah. He still saved Jonah. He still gave him a second chance and still continues to teach and edify Jonah. Even though Jonah wants nothing to do with God. Even though Jonah is like all about his own stuff. God loves his creation whether they love him or not. He loves Nineveh, right? Which like... Of all people to love, right? The people who are like known for torture and killing and not following God, right? They rebel so hard. They're like enemies of the Lord. And yet he loves them enough to save them. That's big. That's tough. Number two, Nineveh mattered to God. Now that's pretty similar to point one, but hear me out here. Nineveh mattered to God. That's big because God so easily could have just looked at Nineveh and been like, listen, I love you, but you brought this on yourself. Kaboom, right? Dunzo. But he gives him a chance. Why? Because God honestly and truly cares about each and every person, regardless if they're chasing God or not. Nineveh mattered to God. And if Nineveh mattered to God, right? The worst of the worst, murderers, violence, torture, all of that. If Nineveh mattered to God, then that leads us to one truth that should affect us quite greatly. And that is that you matter to God. And we've heard that many times, I'm sure, right? It can become cliche. Yes, all right, God loves me. I matter to God. But I really, truly, firmly believe that somebody in this room tonight needs to hear it again right now. Honest truth, you matter to God. And sometimes we stop believing that. And honestly, it's easy to stop believing that. Because we look around at our life and we look around at things falling apart and prayers not being answered or maybe with the answer no. And we get frustrated and we get angry and we start to believe the whispers of the enemy that say you don't matter. Right? That the world is just spinning. God is focused on bigger and better things. That you're a mistake. That God is not even part of your plan. 
that you're just falling through the cracks, right? And we start believing that. And when we believe something, we put ourselves to that level on our actions. When we believe we're worth nothing, we start acting like we're worth nothing. And someone who believes they're worth nothing, they don't act very good, right? Have you ever met, uh, you know, any an adult, a child? I see it in children a lot, right? Who, whose parents just generally, like, don't give them the time of day. And I'm sure their parents love them, but to them, they're just like, my parents don't care what I do, Right? And they have all this freedom, they start going nuts, right? Those are the kids you got to watch out for, right? They're like chucking the balls at Chuck E. Cheese, you know, telling them to stop and they're not stopping. You know, like the wild, wild kids. And so it's the kids that, that think nobody cares. Because when you truly believe something, you rise or stoop to that level. And when we truly believe that we don't matter, we start acting like we don't matter. But guys, I'm here to tell you today, you matter to God. The creator of the universe cares about you and not just the big stuff right not just like where your life ends up i firmly and wholeheartedly believe that god cares about each and every small detail in your life he cares about what makes you happy he cares about what you think is funny he cares about each and every little situation in your life he asks us to bring it to him in prayer in relationship why would he do that if he doesn't care you matter to god God sent his own son from the throne to a manger and then to the cross, all to say that you matter. Right? The band's about to come up. I'm going to wrap up here, but I just want to focus on this for a minute. Right? As we get in the season of Christmas, right? As we get in the season of focusing on Jesus in the manger, we got to look at the whole picture. He was at the throne of heaven to a lowly manger, to a cross, all to let us know that you matter, right? Because I firmly believe God could have snapped his fingers, started over, but each and every one of us wouldn't be here. And so instead of doing that, he decided to give his life. Why? Because you matter. You matter so much to God. Every part of your story matters to God. I don't know who needs to hear it, but somebody today needs to be reminded that you matter to the creator of the universe. Every struggle, every frustration, every detail, every dream, everything, whether it works out or not, you matter to God. And when you know that you matter to God, you rise to the occasion. You live like you matter. The problem is, a lot of us haven't been living like we matter. Because if we walked around and we're like every single day reminded ourselves, I matter to God. The things we would do, right? The boldness we would have. You're like, man, this situation scares me, but I'm going to go into it. I'm going to represent Christ. I'm going to say what I need to say or not say what I need to say. Because I matter to God, right? Because he's given me a mission, a plan, and he cares about how it goes. He cares about every detail, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise the bar, right? You see those employees who, like, go so hard at their jobs, right? Because they know that somebody's watching and appreciating what they're doing. When we realize and recognize and remind ourselves that we matter to God, we start acting in an entirely different way. Jonah missed that. Jonah missed that he mattered to God, that Nineveh mattered to God. Jonah put what mattered to Jonah at the very top. And that's what he lived by. And that's why everything that didn't cater to Jonah's selfish worldview made him furious. 
But guys, when we live our lives on the truth that we matter to God, when we live like we matter to God, that's when the church starts being the church. That's when we start coming together despite our differences. That's when we start treating people, even people who are super different and we really don't like. We start treating them in a way that honors God. Why? Because we matter to God and we know that. So guys, I just want you to be reminded of that truth as we close today. Every detail, every thought, every hope, every dream, every failure, every frustration of yours matters to God. You matter so much to God. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you. And we just thank you, Lord. Thank you for caring about us. God, honestly, something we truly, truly don't deserve. Lord God, you remind us through your word that we matter to you. God, I pray that we step up and live it. We live like we matter, God. We are bold. We think of you in every situation, every action, every word out of our mouth, every choice honoring you. Because when we know when we matter, we start acting like it. God, I pray you remind each and every person in this room that they matter to you. And don't ever let them forget. God, we love you. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.